Okay, Tov. Good Chodesh, uh, or good 15th day of the Omer. We pick up today's Daf. Good Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. We pick up on Daf Nun Chet. Um, and um, we're dealing with uh, the list of things that are forbidden in Hana'ah and benefit. Um, that if one man, uh, somebody tries to marry a woman, she's not Mekudesh. So if a man tries to marry a woman with it. And we're working through Chulin Shanish Chetub Belzara. Non-sanctified objects that animals that were slechted in the base of Miktaj, and we have to figure out, number one, how do you know you're not allowed to do it, and B, how do you know that they are forbidden in benefit? Um, and, we, and the Gemara basically learned it out from the passage that speaks about slaughtering and eating meat outside of the Beit HaMikdash, that when the Beit HaMikdash is distanced from you, you can slaughter and eat meat outside the Beit HaMikdash. Um, um, and then, so if you are too close, if you're in the Beit HaMikdash, you're not allowed to slaughter it, and you're not allowed to eat it. And then we also somehow learn out that they're forbidden in benefit. Um, and we add extra psukim to include all types of meat, even not meat that could be brought as a korban, even if it has a blemish, even if it's of other types of species. Okay, and that's where we learn out that one cannot derive benefit from chulin shenish chetub be'azara or to do it. So we pick up on Uncheremer Aleph about eight lines down, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe. Ashkechinu. It slides and starts with the word ba'azara. Okay, Ashkechinu mar Yehuda Rav Yosef. So Mar Yehuda found Rav Yosef, Rav Shmuel Braid Rabba, to Rabba Barbarchana, and Rav Shmuel the son of Rabba Barbarchana. They were there on the, uh, at the door of, uh, of Rabba's house, Rabba's yeshiva. Amalu, and he said to them, Tanya, look, we taught him Brisa, Hamikalis Pepeta Chamor, Bebasar Bechalav, Ubechulin Shanich Kachetu Be'azara. If a man tries to marry a woman, either with the donkey that you break the neck, or meat and milk that was cooked together, or chulin that was slaughtered in the Beit HaMikdash, Reb Shimon Omen Bechudeshet, a voice we did not hear in the Mishnah, there's a position of Reb Shimon, that all three of those do work. The Chamim Omen Be'enu Bechudeshet, and Chamim says she is not. Now, what would be the logic for the three of them? Well, Petach we already taught in the Gemara earlier, quoted a Brita, that according to Rabbi Shimon, Petach is not forbidden in Hana'ah. Now the Gemara said that Rabbi Shimon would agree once the donkey's neck was broken, then it's sort of like, um, uh, what do you call it, Egla Rufa, but at least while it was still alive, it would not be forbidden in benefit. So we could be talking about that scenario, Rabbi Shimon would be consistent. Pastor B'chalav, we quoted yesterday a position of, um, what do you call it, of Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda, who said that Pastor B'chalav is permissible in benefit. Raji says Reb Shimon is Lishi Tasso, so Reb Shimon ben Yehuda is not your Stam Reb Shimon, Stam Reb Shimon is Reb Shimon by Yochai, but some want to say that that suggests that Rashi's Girsa earlier was just Reb Shimon, not Reb Shimon ben Yehuda. So we can explain those two, and even if it's a different Reb Shimon, maybe he holds of the same position. So anyway, we have a basis for saying that a Petah Hamor, when it's alive, certainly that is Reb Shimon, is not forbidden in benefit. There is a Tana that says that meat and, cook, meat and milk cooked together is not forbidden in benefit. But what is this position? That you can chulin shenishchatu be'azara. Maybe that suggests also that there that Reb Shimon holds that there's a debate about this, and that there's an opinion that chulin shenishchatu be'azara is not forbidden in benefit. So that's what the Gemara says. Let's take a look. The Gemara says Alma. You see that at least according to Reb Shimon, chulin shenishchatu be'azara. If chulin was slaughtered in the, um, in, the, in, the, in the in the in the in the temple courtyard, Reb Shimon lav deraisa. For Reb Shimon, that is not biblical. Now I just want to pause for a moment and say, what does it mean? Not not biblical. Um, it could mean, well, yes, but what is not biblical? So Rashi says, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, 
If you look at Rashi, uh, I don't even know where to tell. Twenty lines down in the narrow lines about Rashi says starting at the beginning line of Bukhun Bazar. Rashi says Kasavar Isuro Lav Doraita Lo Isur Shchitato Lo Isur Hanaato. Not the prohibition to slaughter it, and not the prohibition to derive benefit. Now that is not necessarily what can be inferred from this. It just says you can marry a woman with the with the with, you know with the uh, meat that was slaughtered. It doesn't talk about whether it's prohibited to do or not. And there's a number of places where Tosu says that the position that Chulin Shanish Chetub Hazar is lav right is not a biblical prohibition, does not mean that it's not prohibited to do. It means that the status of the meat afterwards is not prohibited. Okay, so that's an interesting question, number one. There's a dissenting voice around Chulin Shanish Chetub that says, says it's not biblical. But does that mean that it's not, no aspect of it is biblical, the entire category is rabbinic? Or does it mean, no, 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 there still might be a biblical problem of doing the act, but that does not affect the status of the meat if you went ahead and you did slaughter it. Okay, but minimally for us... You can eat two, according to position. Yeah, so minimum, well, not two, meaning... Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least, at least, all right. Though. Okay, but it sounds like rabbinically it would be forbidden. Okay, so it sounds though, regardless of whether it's forbidden or permissible to actually do the act, maybe it is forbidden to do the act, all right. But regardless, it sounds like that the status of the meat afterwards is not biblically forbidden because you can marry a woman with it. So that's the position of Rav Shimon. Okay, big deal. Fine, good. There's a debate about it. I mean, as we learned yesterday, the psukim that we learned it from are not so explicit. It, it would not be so crazy that somebody would say that it's not biblically prohibited. Now, before we go on to see why the Gemara challenges this, the other point that I do want to emphasize is the uh, is the word biblical, which sounds like we're willing to concede that it is rabbinically forbidden, and that raises an interesting question: whether objects which are forbidden in benefit rabbinically, um, one can marry a woman with them, right? Do we say that? Well, from a Torah perspective, you can derive benefits. So, from a Torah perspective, this is an object of value and a man gives a woman an object of value even if the rabbis say you're not supposed to use it it doesn't change the reality that looking at this through a Torah lens this is some type of a thing that you can be eaten and can derive benefit right and that um, a woman maybe should be married he gave her an object of value on the other hand you could say well you could say one of two things you could say the rabbis you know always have the power to you know manipulate ownership um, and also if they really want to they can void a marriage so they could maybe say look well you said you're not supposed supposed to derive benefits, so we're going to sort of make it like you don't own it, you know, and therefore you didn't give her something you owned. Or we could say, you know, we're going to avoid the marriage. We so much want to back up our takana. Um, or here's a third possibility. Since you're not supposed to derive benefit rabbinically, um, you know, if you, what does it mean you look at it through a Torah lens? In the reality in the society, in, if, assuming like in the observant society in which you live, you can't get any money for it. Nobody's going to pay for it. There's no Nobody's supposed to buy it, right? Every, nobody, you know, you're not in practice. You're not supposed to. Be, you, you're not supposed to get benefit from it. The woman isn't supposed to get benefit from it. So maybe, like in practical terms, it's not worth any money because of the nature of the rabbinic prohibition. Right? Right. Exactly. Good point. De facto, not de jure. So that is a question. If something is only rabbinically forbidden in benefit, um, what is its status as an object of value, and would a marriage be that's done with that object? be binding or not. So take a look at Tosfos 
The language, it's not biblical, sounds like we would concede that it's rabbinically forbidden to derive benefits. That's what it sounds like, it's not biblical. How could still, how could that work? Rav teaches, if a man marries a woman from the sixth hour onward on Erev Pesach, where Chometz is forbidden in benefits, even with these types of hard grains of wheat, which presumably don't really become chametz, or only a rabbinic chametz, the kiddushin does not take effect. So that sounds like a clear statement that his whole point of Ra's teaching is that even though it's only rabbinically forbidden, the kiddushin is still not binding. Are you okay? Do you need help finding the page? Ma'am? Yeah. You're looking at it now? Jacob, do you want to give her a hand? Maybe? Or? No? Okay. You got that? All right. Sure. Uh, not a problem. Okay. The Yeshlomer, so you could say, so so how do you explain it? Is something that is rabbinically prohibited in benefit, is that, can that, what would happen if that was used to do an act of kiddushin? So those as the Yeshlomer, Dasim Ika Mia Shos Do Raisa. Okay. Lusim Hasam. So there's an interesting debate of Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam in that Gemara. It's clear from the context of the Gemara that the pr- point of Rav's statement is to say that even though it's only rabbinic, the Kiddushin doesn't work. If you say these are this a wheat that you're marrying a woman with, but there's a question about how to read why it's rabbinic. Okay, Tosa said Rabbeinu Tam says no, no, no. The wheat is actually real chametz, but the reason it was only rabbinic was that you, in the sixth hour means before the sixth hour. Oh, wow. Okay, I mean, right? <laughs> it means like it means it, the sixth hour isn't over yet. So the sixth hour is from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. When you, when, it's, when you enter into midday, that's already called the seventh hour, right? So, like, if a, if a baby was just born, it's the first year of his life. He's not yet one years old. The sixth hour is not yet, six hours have not yet passed. So Tosa says, ah, but there at least you're in the immediate ambit of the Doraita, because if, in, in, you know, in, in a few more minutes, this actually will be an Isser Doraita. And therefore, right, that gives it this greater weight that doesn't even work for the Yeved. Okay? Here by Chulun Bazara, there's no context in which Chulun Bazara is ever Doraita. So it's a lighter Durabanan. Okay? And, and, um, and then he goes on there with Harash explains the Gemara. It couldn't see, you know, because if you say the weed itself is not Chametz Doraita, then it's more of an analogy. But then maybe even, or even that you could sort of say look the wheat might be deraisa but at least it's a context in which there's a concept of chametz that is asr the wheat might be derabanan this particular type of chametz but in general it's a context in which chametz is an isr deraita so what Tosus basically says is it is true the rabbis can choose certain types of rabbinic things that are rabbinically prohibited in benefit if they're an extension of a biblical category of something that's rabbinically prohibited in benefit of uh, that's biblically prohibited in benefit then the nature of rabbinically extending that would be to say that that object is considered completely devoid of value and if somebody a man tries to marry a woman with it it's not binding something that is whole cloth rabbinic they just created a completely new rabbinic category called chulin bazara according to this approach right well it 
doesn't matter what the motivation is. The motivation for this uh, chametz could also be a offense. The question is, structurally, does it exist as an extension of a biblical category? Then it takes on some of the weight of that biblical category. And therefore, it would be considered valueless and the condition would not be binding. Whereas if it's something that exists purely as something rabbinic, like muktzah, well, muktzah is not asr behanah. But you know what I'm saying? It's not an extension of, it doesn't start with a biblical thing that's forbidden in benefit. It's a completely new type of a thing uh, out of co cloth that the rabbi said is forbidden in benefit. In that type of a case, then it would not have be considered vo- devoid of value and the woman would be married. Yeah, but like then you should say that if you do something that's an, a, a marriage that's also like a Cohen who marries a Grusha shouldn't be binding. We don't say that. We don't say that any act of violation doesn't cause the marriage to be binding. I understand. But that's not right. That's true. But it doesn't work you're like, oh, you violated and we're going to punish you. If the rabbi said that the marriage isn't binding, like by this case of the Chumet, it's because they basically started with an idea is we want to treat this as full Isur Hanah and we're going to treat it as if it's completely devoid of value and we're going to do any type of thing we need to back up that status but it's not a punishment for violating okay because then you're right and if you did any type of an act that would be in violation the marriage wouldn't be binding and that's not true so yes. if we took Rabbi Shimon in a commercial context not a marriage context right. so like you could, you could open up a trade restaurant and sell Basar Bechalov you just couldn't need it? Yeah, I mean, if you sold it to non-Jews, I mean, otherwise it would be at least naive here, right. Okay, so anyway, so back to the Gemara. So Reb Shimon says that you can marry this woman with Chul and Bazar, so you see, according to him, at least the status of the meat is not biblically forbidden, and therefore the marriage will be binding. If Chulun was shechted in the, in the courtyard, you would have to burn them. And even if it was not even even if it was a chaya, like a deer, which could never even be brought as a korban. Now, how does that prove that it's only, that, that it's biblical and not rabbinic? So Rashi says, well, look, if it were, if it were, the normal idea, we never would have, even biblically, if you can't eat the chulun bazara, it doesn't make sense that you have to burn it. Normal things that are forbidden in benefit, you only bury them. You don't burn them. If you're burning them, it's clearly like an added stringency. And the added stringency might be, because it's in the temple courtyard, so if you're not eating it, people will think that it's kudshim that became puzzle, and kudshim that became puzzle you burn. So you would understand why they want you to burn it, because that's how you dispose of of, of sacrifices that can't be eaten and you've now slaughtered an animal that you're not eating in the temple courtyard. But that's an additional stringency. So if fundamentally it started by being biblically forbidden, we could understand how we would add the stringency if they burn it. But if the entire thing is only a rabbinic issue, we don't understand how it would be so strict. Not only say burn it, but even burn like a chaya, like a deer that is so removed from any possibility of confusion with a real sacrifice. So for this strict, even by case of a chaya, it sounds like we're really treating this as a doraita. Okay? So how do you reconcile that? So why then can you use it to marry a woman? So uh, this is what... who was it? This is what Mar, Mar Yehuda... It's also Rabbi Shimon is saying. Yes, that's, exactly. That's the point. How can Rabbi Shimon say you can use it to marry a woman? And here Rabbi Shimon says you burn it. So that's a very reasonable question. And that's what this Mar Yehuda asked of Yosef and Rashmu Abrei Daraba. So then the Gemara says like this, They didn't have an answer. They came to Rabbah. Okay? Because they were there in front of the Yeshivan Rabbah. So they went indoors and they said, Hey, Rabbah, this guy just asked us a really good question. Okay? So Amalu, he said to them, 
Talga, which Rashi basically says like troublemakers, which is so funny. Why are they troublemakers? It's a really good question. But presumably, he had already... I understand. Right. So much for there never being a dumb question. Apparently, he had given them an answer. Ukminchi, I have established it, meaning I've explained it. Did he already explain it to them this way? Or is he now explaining it? What's the case? He goes, Yeah! When he says, You can use it to marry a woman. He's not talking about a standard case. Standard case, you couldn't. It's us or so it's a special case. What's a special case? That the animal is a trefa. Okay? And therefore, this is what we mentioned yesterday, that if, according to that, there's a position that shechita shena ru'iya, a shechita that does not make the meat forbidden, is not considered, uh, permissible, is not considered an act of a shechita. Okay? So therefore, if it was an act of a shechita done to it, and, and it was bazara, it would be forbidden in Hana'a, biblically. But because it was a trefa, it comes out, you can't eat it, because you shechted a trefa, but it's not defined as an act of shechita, so it was no longer chul and shenishchetu bazara because you didn't do an act of shechita to it, because, you, you, because halachically it was a non-valid act. So therefore, it's not forbidden in benefit. Okay, Reb Shimon time and Reb Shimon goes according to his reasoning. The time we talk the brisa, a shochet as a trefa. Somebody shechts an animal that's known to be a trefa, or became a shochet v'nimsas trefa. Shechts an animal, and then you uh, looked at the organs and you discovered that it was a trefa. V'zev zechul in bazara, and they're both a case that it was chul in the azara. Reb Shimon matir b'hana avachamim alshim. Reb Shimon says you can derive benefit. It's only a trefa. It's not chul in shenishchul to bazara because it was a shechita sheina ruuya, as we said later yesterday. It was a shechita that does not do it. it does not, you would not be fit to making the meat permissible. And but the Chachamim say, no, physically it was an act of shechita. Even if the animal was a treifa, it doesn't matter. And therefore, it's forbidden in Hana'an. Now, a little bit, you understand why Rabbah got upset. Because normally when you say in Ukimta, oh, it's a special case, it's like, give me a break. That's probably not shot of the original text. But here, you explicitly have a Breita that teaches about Rabbi Shimon, about a shechita that the animal was a treifa. And in the case of Chulin Shinishchatu Be'azara. So this Breita makes it sound very clearly that according to Rabbi Shimon, if it weren't a Trefa, if it was a standard Chulin Shinishchatu Be'azara, he would agree it's Asr Behana. And the only case that he's saying is okay is because it's a Trefa. So Rabbi saying, come on, that's clearly the context of that earlier teaching when Rabbi Shimon says you can marry a woman with Chulin Shinishchatu Be'azara. It's like this case that he himself says in the Breita that the Shechita of the animal is a Trefa and therefore it's not really considered a Shechita. Right here, which is exactly what Ukminchi means. I've established it. I I contextualized it. Contextualized this specific case. Well, wouldn't there be any? There would be no difference between a chay and a trefa, right? A chay should be. No, chay is shchita ruia. If you shech the chay, it's much of That's not the point. Shchita shena ruia means it doesn't do the normal effect of a shchita. Would not think like like it's not enough to make the meat permissible. Not that, not in this particular case, because it's not what you would need for a korban. Shechita shenimuria is you have a, a local law that says you can't do a shechita, like you can't shecht an, a korban out of the base of mikdash, or you can't shecht chulin ba'azara, you know, um, or you uh, maybe even you steal a, a sheep or a cow and you shecht it, okay, and you have to pay four or five times the value, whatever, right? So, so within a particular halacha that says you, there's a certain consequence for doing a shechita, if the type of a shechita that normally would not. Make 
make the meat permissible, the classic case being that it was a trefa, then you do not violate that act of shechita for that local halacha. So here, the halacha is don't shechul in bazara. Well, it's not a shechita. It wouldn't have made the meat permissible. It's not a question about whether it fits to the logic of why this might be mm-hmm. an issue. So, chaya, you would if it's an act of a shechita. Okay. So now we are done with all that whole list of things that are Asr Behanan, nice opportunity to explore a list of things that are Asr Behanan, what types of debates there might be about them. And now we say, but if you took these things that are forbidden benefit and you sold them, you violated, you made this nice cheeseburger, okay, um, and you sold it, you weren't allowed to sell it, you got $10 for it, but you, okay, you violated, you deserve to be punished. But what's the status of these $10? These $10 now, your violation now is something in the past, and this $10 is totally yours to be used. It's not forbidden in benefit. The meat of the meat of milk was forbidden benefits. You transgress by making money off of it, but the money now can be used. So you use this money to marry a woman if the woman is married. Okay, where do you know this from? That the, the, the status doesn't transfer to the money. Um, Since the Gemara says that by an idol, the status does travel, it says you will be like the, under the ban like it. From which we read, anything that Hayita that you sort of do, you know, that sort of creates through it anything that somehow comes as a result of it, the status applies to it. So anything that, you know, if you exchange the idol for money, that money came from the idol, so the money gets the status of the idol. The money is the exchange of the idol. So that gets the status. Right? Michlal, yes. So if that's, that's by Avodah Michlal, but that would be the exception. The Kohli Surin Shabbatara all other things are permissible. The message is one minute. What makes you think it's an exception? Vinaylus Mine, maybe it's a rule. Maybe from there we should learn that the general rule is that things that are forbidden in benefit the, 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 the status transfers. So the message says no. Because there are two exceptions. Okay? So there are two exceptions. We assume there are two times the Torah says it. We say if, it were, if there was a rule, it wouldn't have to say it twice. If it says it's in two cases, it must be that those are the exceptions and the rules are the opposite. Okay? Standard principle of Shneiksu Mabayim Ke'echad. Because Shneiksu Mabayim Ke'echad, anytime you have two verses, two rule, two, you know, two cases that are teaching you the same rule, Ein Malamdin. They're not a rule. They're an exception. What are the two cases? Avodos Kocham Hadamrin. Idols, we said. Shviyas Mahi. And what's the case of Shviyas? Yovel Hi. It is the Yovel year. Kodesh Ki it should be holy to you. So it's called the Yovel. Now, that's talking about the year itself, but we're going to say it refers to the produce of the year. And the same would be true of the produce of a Shemitah year. Ma Kodesh Tovis is Tamav. The same is something that is holy. Um, the status can transfer to money. Ashri is Tovis So Shemitah, the status transfers to money. Now, when something holy, the status transfers to money, that's only when you redeem it and the original thing stops being holy. So let's say the same thing here. Ima Kodesh Tovis is Tamav in one minute. If it's really like something that's been sanctified, then when the, the, the status goes to the money, the object is redeemed and the object is now desacralized. So maybe by Shviyas too, if you buy Shemitah with money, the status transfers to the money and the fruit stop having the Kedusha. So the Kamal Domar, Kodesh it shall be. It means it retains its status. It never loses its status. So Cain said, what, how would that play out? You took your fruit that grew in a, on Shemitah and you swapped it with some meat. 
The meat now has Kedusha Shviyas, which means it has to be eaten, and you can't use it for other purposes. And if you don't eat it by the time that the, uh, you know, the fruit is, food is no longer available in the field, then you have to destroy it. That's what Mibar means. It can only be eaten during the time that the food is still available in the field. Now, the Basar Dagim, let's say you then went ahead and swapped the meat for fish. That's a Basar Nichnesu Dagim. So the meat goes out of the status, and the fish take its, ex- 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 take its, uh, its uh, place. Dagim Yain, then you swap the fish for, for wine. That's a Dagim and Nichnes Yain. The wine, the, the fish go out of the status, and the wine goes in. Yain Shemen, wine oil. Yatsa Shemen, Yain Nichnes Shemen. Hot case. So what's the basic rule here? Exactly. Achon Achon Nitzvah Spishvias. The last object of the swap has the Kedusha, the Shvias. Uperi Atzmo Asr. And the original fruit always has it. So basically, it works like Tidyon after the first object. The fruit never loses its status. From that point on, it's a Kedusha that then gets transferred every time the object gets exchanged. Anyway, you see that we learned that Shemitah and Avodazara are two objects in which their status um, is maintained. Um, you know, or not maintained. That's not important. Their status transfers. It is maintained. Avodazara too. The original Avodazara retains it. But, that's, but the point is not that it's retained by the original object, but that also the status transfers to the object that it's exchanged with. Okay? And that's only true by those two and not by anything else. Okay? Now it is interesting, by the way, because Shemitah is not Isurei Hana. Shemitah is like a Kedusha status. Right? And you could sort of say that a Kedusha status, right, is, is not uh, relevant for discussion of Isurei Hana. Something that the whole point is don't get any benefit from. You could reasonably saying say that that does transfer because if I'm getting benefit from the money I sold it, I sold it. I got the 10 bucks. If I can now use the 10 bucks, I'm continuing to get benefit, at least indirectly, you know, because now I'm able to use the 10 bucks that I got for it. So it is funny that the Gemara thinks that you can put Shemitah in the same category as Avarazara. You could reasonably say, no, Shemitah is about Kedusha, eating it, and so on. But there's really only one Pasuk about something that you, that's forbidden in benefit, which is Avarazara. And let that be the principle. And there's a logic why Yisurei Hana should more continue on, you know, at least one stage removed. Yes. So, well, couldn't you say that Shemitah is after Mitzvahirim, uh, then it's up to the Hanukkah? Oh, you mean that the Yisur Hanukkah that applies after the Biur? Maybe, maybe that's the point, but at least it doesn't start that way. I mean, but it is true, the way the, 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 uh, the Mishnah frames it, it immediately focuses not on the Kedusha, but on the consequence after the stage of Mitzvahirim. Yeah. So maybe that's true. Although I think, you're allowed to be I'm trying to remember if you're allowed to derive benefit when you're mitzvah it um, so it's still not a, totally similar but okay but you're probably right that that probably is the basis of the comparison okay so that's why those are the two exceptions and therefore the rule is that it does not transfer to the object so the Gemara says that's good if you say that once there are two cases they're the exception and not the rule according to the approach that when there are two cases they can be a rule so Michael Amemar let's still make this the rule that the status transfers. So the says no. Um, there are limiting words that tell you that this is only by these cases and not the rule. It says here by who it is under the ban. So this is a law that applies this status of that transfers is a law that applies only to Avodah Zarah. And it says over there by Shviyas Yovel he 
he he in only by shmita does the status transfer midiachridi lo and not by other things. Okay, so yes, there are some things that the status transfers, but the general rule is that things that you know that I derive benefit if you transgressed and derived benefit. The object that you got from it is now acceptable. So, um, how would this apply? You have a pet or before you broke its neck and you sold it to someone and yep, made that money? Yep. Why well, would someone buy that? Um, I don't know because they're, un- well, I guess if they're unwitting, it would be a Mecca's toes. So maybe yeah. they're uncaring. Maybe you sold it to a non Jew. Also, could be an example. Ah, and then a non Jew wouldn't have, wouldn't have to kill it. Correct. He's not, he's not, he's not uh, bound by those laws. And it's okay if it's being mutter for me to sell to a non-Jew. Would not be mutter no. for you. You would transgress, but then the money would not be forbidden. That's right. The proceeds would not be forbidden. Okay. Um, now, so now we go to the. You're trying to figure out your options. Okay. I'm Kaddish. Yeah, wanna sell the. I know you've got. I know you've got some donkeys in here. Okay. I'm Kaddish. Now, last mission of the parak about about using different objects to do kiddushin with. So we dealt with Isurei Hana. Now we're going to deal with another case. I'm a man marries a woman with truma or with maser the gifts from an animal that's shechted that are given to a kohen the zroel chayayim and the keva the uh, shoulder and the uh, the maw and the uh, stomach or the maw is the stomach yeah the maw is like whatever the uh, uh, yeah uh, the, the the cheeks the jowls okay um, um, so those are given to a kohen um, now. Let's first imagine the scenario. Now, the Maser and Matanot are, uh, don't have any sanctity to them. So, of course, you can give it to and use for Kiddushin. How about Truma? So, if you, the woman, even if the woman is not allowed to eat the Truma, although, interestingly, once you give it to her, if you're a Kohen, she will be, at least after the Nisuin. But, okay, but let's imagine a scenario where, whatever, it's not yet the Nisuin, I mean, certainly it's not yet the Nisuin. Let's imagine some case, maybe you're not a Kohen and you got Truma in your hand somehow, which we'll discuss in the Gemara. Never Nevertheless, even if she can't directly um, uh, eat it, she can always turn around and sell it to a Kohen. Okay, so this all should seem relatively obvious. We'll see in the Gemara what the Gemara does with this. Now, how about water that's going to be used in the para, you know, to to be uh, mixed with the ashes of the paraduma? Maybe it was already mixed with those ashes. Or let's say, right? Or let's say it was the ashes of the paraduma. Now, what is that case? Right? You would think the water would be valuable. Of course, it also raises the question that, like, are are, are the ashes asur behana? Like the ashes, like it was from this animal that you did this whole ritual with, right? It was the you know the brother. Sort of, what's the status of those ashes? Like, if you wanted to use it for a non, you know. Uh, for you know, for a non-purification uh, process, or if you could, you go back and sell it to somebody who wanted to use it for a purification process. You know, what's exactly the st- those? I think the more interesting ones in the k- first case in the Mishnah. We'll see about that. But it's uh, it's an interesting question. Would you say that these things are asr behana? Those last things, just because you use it to purify, doesn't mean that it's mutter behana. Yeah, like for other things, you don't Because let me read the end of the Mishnah, and then I'll hear your questions. In all those cases, it works. Yisrael, which is going on the first case even if a non-Kohen gives her truma and even if she's not a Kohen or whatever you know whatever that whatever Bosco and anyway it would still work right. these, all these cases essentially 
How can a scoundrel get married and live happily ever after this? <laughs> well, why is he a scoundrel? What do you mean? The question is, like, uh, can you transgress but still... How do you know you're transgressing anything here? Well, how are you going to get all this stuff? I don't know. Who am I supposed to do? All right, anyway. It's like misappropriating community property. So just from extend, like community All right, I mean, all of those are good questions yeah. about who owns it. Fine, we'll see We'll see the case. Interestingly, the Gemara focuses more on the first case. To me, the Mechatos and Eferchatos yeah. is the more interesting one. Let's look at the Gemara. Amar Ula, says Ula, the benefit that you get to decide who to give something to is not considered to be of a, a, a monetary value. What does that mean? It means that he understands the case of truma because as we described the Mishnah, it's obvious. If you happen to have truma in your possession, of course it's a value. You can sell it on the, to the Kohanim. Why shouldn't you be able to marry a woman? So he understands, no, here's the case by truma. The way he makes this Mishnah Chiddush is I'm mafish truma for my grain. I'm mafish masa for my grain. I have to give it to a coin or a lady. I am not allowed to keep it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it to this woman to marry her and I'm going to tell her, so what does she get out of it? She still has to give it to a coin or lady. Ah, she gets the benefit that she can decide which coin or lady to give it to. Okay? So is that considered to be something of value that actually then, so wait, you know... Did you gave her tebo? No, no, no. Or I gave her a truma that I was mafresh, but rather than giving it to a coin, I said, here, you take this truma, you decide which coin it goes to. Okay? So have I given her something of value? Now, anybody who's ever worked in uh, government and knows that <laughs> the ability to decide who to give a contract to, okay, uh, you know, and all the money that changes hands under the table, tell us not is a lot of mummo. But again, the question here is, is like whether, not whether like, is there some real benefit that you get out of that? Now, not only will somebody pass you some money under the table, obviously that's forbidden, but you know, at least somebody will have gratitude towards you and so on. But does the law recognize that as, you know, as something of value? That you actually, and you know, or is it just incidental? I, because I had the opportunity to do this, this person was grateful to me. But it wasn't like I actually have a sense of ownership in this object, and that I gave this woman an object that I actually owned, or that now she owns, and that it's considered to be, of, you know, that I actually have an ownership stake in this object. So um, forbidden to do that. You, you made a thing. Like a, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It is definitely forbidden to. <laughs> give Trumas and Mises in exchange for favors. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Um, so therefore, he understands that that's the case, and the Chiddush of the Mishnah is to tell you that yes, that even that you're a right to decide who to give it to may, gives you a certain ownership position in that object. Okay, and it's like you gave her an, uh, and, and you gave her an object that you had a little bit of an ownership to, and that now that she has an ownership in. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Ace Rabbi Abba Lula, Rabbi Abba challenged Lula. I'm sorry, Lula said Ainam Mamon, excuse me. So he's disagreeing. He, well, that's going to be the question. Yeah. Right. So I'm sorry. So Ula just said stop his statement. But now Rabbi Abba understands that the case of the mission is exactly that case. That the man gave the woman Trumut and Masrat that he had separated from his grain that has to be given to a Kohen and Levi. And nevertheless, by giving it to a woman, he gave her an object of value. So how do you explain that if you say Tova Tana is not Mamon? I'm a lay, no. Now, before I unpack that, let me just tell you that the easy answer is, and Rashi tells, says that this is the easy answer, the easy answer is, no, we're not talking that you were mafish truma and haven't yet given it to a Kohen. We're talking that you own the truma. Now, how do you own the truma? Either you're a Kohen and somebody gave it to you, or how would I own the truma if I'm Yisrael? Well, you can imagine a couple of things. 
let's say, first of all, I'm Israel, and I'm and I see that there's a big market to be made by buying truma, you know, on the cheap from some kohanim and going to other kohanim and selling it at a markup, right? So I can go ahead, I can go ahead and just stam have truma of kohanim because that's my business. I buy and sell truma, you know, from and to kohanim. Or another example would be that somebody's maternal grandfather, mother's father is a kohen. I'm not a kohen because it's because my my father isn't a kohen, but my mother's father is a kohen. My mother's father died, passed on truma to my mother. My mother died, and then the truma came to me. So I inherited truma from a kohen. Okay, so there's a lot of ways that Israel could have truma. So I have truma, and I went in. I used it to marry a woman. Now it has an object of value because now she can go ahead and sell it to kohanim. So there's an easy way to explain the mission. The point that Rashi says is the reason we need say that is that was too easy okay then, 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 then the mission would be obvious of course if you own the truma it's an object of value and you can use it to marry a woman so we have to make the mission a little bit more interesting so what makes the mission more interesting what makes the mission more interesting is not that I inherited truma from my internal maternal grandfather I inherited tevel from my maternal grandfather so who's a Kohen what good does that do me because if you say that tevel before you've taken Trumas and Maestros, you look at it as if the Trumas and Maestros were already taken because they exist in potential, then that means that if I'm a Kohen and I have Tevel, I can already stake my claim to the Truma of the Tevel, even before I mafrish it. Okay? You got that? When I mafrish it, when I separate Truma, I can say, oh, it's Truma, I have to give it to a Kohen, I'll keep it for myself. Okay, but even before I was maf- I separated out, if it's Tevel, and you say, it's like the gifts that are, need to be given are already present, then I've already staked my claim to it. So therefore, my maternal grandfather was a Kohen. He had all of this Tevel. He didn't take Trumas yet. He died. It passed on to me. So now I have to be the one to be Malfish, Tevel, Trumas, and Maestros. When I Malfish the Truma, do I have to give it to another Kohen? There's no, no, no. Now that I Malfish the Truma, this was the Truma that was already owned by my grandfather, who was the Kohen. So since he already owned this Truma, now I've just designated and separated it out. Now I can keep it. Do you understand? If it's like the Truma hadn't existed until now, then I separated it. Even though I got the Tevel from my grandfather, I have to find a Kohen to give it to. But if it's like... I'm not a Kohen. It's my maternal Uh, grandfather. But if... Kohanim have to also give Truma to other... Yeah, they they normally don't have their own grain, at least the way the Torah imagines it. But if they would, they would have to be Mafish. But they can... But he can keep it to... Yeah, but he can keep it to himself. He's Mafish for himself? Yeah. He's, uh, he the miser he gives to a lady the truma gives to her. Anyway, so uh, so so if uh, so if you say matanos shalohormu kimishahormu damian even before they were separated it's like they had already been separated then he already owns the truma that is going to be separated and then when it passes down to me and I separate it it's his truma that I've inherited and I don't have to give it to another kohen so that would be the chiddush of the mishnah okay so the easy case of the mishnah that I really own truma is obvious. So either we're saying the Mishnah is talking about I was separated from and I have to find a Kohen and the fact that I have the right to give it to a Kohen makes me a somewhat of an owner in it and I can give it to a woman and I've given her I can't even think, I, I've given her an object of value which is which is what is, which is a Tovah Tanah Mamon or if the ability to find someone to give it to does not give me a monetary stake in the object then the case would be that I inherited Tevel but I own the Truma that's in the Tevel my, my grandfather was a Kohen even though I'm only separating it off now okay so let's take a read that again 
Kohen. It's Yisrael that inherited Truma from his maternal grandfather, who's a Kohen. Even though they weren't separated by the grandfather, it was like they were separated, and therefore the Truma was owned by the grandfather in potential. The Truma in potential was owned by the grandfather, and therefore I can keep it, and I don't have to find another Kohen to give it to. Yes. What I understand is, well, this is just in general. We have so many other cases. I'm you for the benefit, whatever. Yeah, so you know what? You're right. If somebody said, and and similar to cases before it's a good point if I said to this woman look I don't have any monetary stake in this object but I will ben- I will marry you from the Hanoi you get from the ability to choose which Kohen to give it to and that was a Hanoi that was actually worth a pruta then she would be Mikudesha but I didn't tell her I was going to marry her with the benefit she would receive from it I told her I was marrying her with the object itself so that would only work if I'm considered an actual owner in the object okay but you're right that's always the trick like if I marry you with with uh, with, with, with the debt you're not married because I didn't give you anything if I marry you with the benefit you receive from me having waived the debt right, you are married even though in both cases it's the same thing but it's, what am I framing as the object that I'm giving the woman I just saw the problems of, of, of all the issue, it doesn't the Mishnah is, is not a case where you have to find a Kohen to give the Truma to it's a case where you own the Truma and that's why you can marry a woman and the Chidusha is that you own the Truma because your gra- it was your grandfather's and he had the ability to be mafresh it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's really now your truma. Okay? Alright, so now the question says like this. Um What's the story about this benefit to give something to somebody? Is that considered like you have a monetary ownership in it? It's our Mishnah. That's what he thought Pshad in the Mishnah was. And he thought it meant that, uh, what do you call it? That uh, you separate the truma and you have, a, you have to give it to a Kohen, but nevertheless, the right to give it to a Kohen gives you a monetary stake, and if you gave that to a woman and now she could give it to a Kohen, you've given her an object of value, and uh, she's Mikudeshes, Tovas Hanamamon. Amalei, Talabu Kimna Bi Yisrael, Shanafulo Tvalim Beisavi Imo Kohen? What do you mean? I've already told you that that case is a case where it's a maternal grandfather is the Kohen, and it's, uh, you really own the truma, and it's not a case where you have to give the truma away. Amalei, Hutsa'at, says, ah, that explanation, that the maternal grandfather, whatever, you're a Hutsa. Now, what's a Hutsa? So Rashi says, so Rashi says, either it means you're like excluded, Mutsa'at, you know, you're like, you're like, uh, you're like on the outsides of this interpretation to think that that's what the Mishnah meant or Rashi says it might also mean that there's another word Hutsa Vidafna which is like reeds because a classic rabbinic insult would be Katli Kadna Ba'agma like you're a reed cutter in a swamp okay like which basically means you don't belong in the base madrash okay or some usually it's used rhetorically who are we reed cutters okay so anyway you gotta be in a, you know Babylonia on the 5th uh, century to get the joke anyway so, okay but anyway so he thought he was like saying, yeah you don't belong in this discussion okay you think that's Pshat in the Mishnah, the maternal grandfather. So Hotat, Ichsif, he got embarrassed. Well, and I mean, that, that I've been so, ins- you know, he's insulted. Yeah. It sounds like this is such an illegitimate explanation. Okay, who suffered Mishmaita Kamalei? He thought it meant you're excluded from this conversation. Hotat, you're kicked out of this conversation if you think that's what's going on. Amalei, so no, no, the rabbi who said this to him clarified. Hachikamina, that's what, this is what I meant to say. Ravasi to Hutsal, Kai Kivata. I didn't mean, I meant by Hotsal, I meant Hutsal. Yo, you're following. 
doing that Hutzal guy's approach. Hutzalat. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, maybe it was a good. It was a good. He realized he had embarrassed him so much, so it was a good way of softening it. Anyway, okay. Anyway, okay. Name it to Let's say this is a debate of Tanayim about this question about Tovas Hanam Mamon. Okay. I steal Michael's tevel. Okay, he's got a hundred uh, bushels worth of grain. No trumas and mices were taken from it. it. Was two a dollar a bushel. I steal it. How much do I have to pay him for? He's not a coin. He's not a lazy. He'd have to wind up giving away, right? At least, well, let's not worry about the second mice, or at least 10%, right, of trumas and mices. So do I have to pay him $100 or $90? What do I pay him? Okay, so Mishalim lo demei tivlo shelchavero. Do Rebbe. Rebbe says you pay him the value of the tether. Now, that's a little confusing phrase. Does that mean how much tether goes for on the open market? Or does it mean for the whole hundred bushels as their straight value? So Rashi says, at least initially, we think it means the latter. I have to pay him a hundred dollars even though he would have had to wound up giving away 10 of those bushels. Okay? That's what Rebbe says. No, you only pay him 90 bucks. Now, my love, let's say this is debate. The the one that says you have $100, say it's the benefit he has, is like money. No, it's not considered his. Now, the funny problem, the problem about this is that until now, we have not yet determined, even if you say how much mamon is it? Right? Because even if you say Michael is a part owner in that ten, in that, in those ten bushels that he's going to have to give away his mass there, right? That doesn't mean that he owns ten dollars worth. He's considered to be the full owner of it. So why would I have to? So this at least assumes, according to the way Rashi's reading it, you don't have to read it Rashi's way. But according to the way Rashi's reading it, it sounds like I am considered the full owner because I have the right to give it away and I have that control. And right now it's under my control. Right now I am considered to be the full owner. I have an obligation to give it, but right now I'm considered to be the full owner and I own this object worth $10. Even though there's no way I could benefit from the full value of this object, it's considered to be my full object and that's its value. That's at least the way Rafiat, which is a big Kiddush, that with Intelus Mamon, it means we consider you to own the full value of the object. That's the way Rafi reads this. And the other one says, no, you're not an owner of that at all and therefore you only get paid for the 90, not for the extra 10. So it seems like that's the debate. Okay? Well, that's not necessarily the debate. Everybody could say that Michael is not the owner in that $10. Okay? So if that's true, why would I have to pay him the full value according to Rabbi? Because, ah, it's a special case of Tevel. No, not normal Tevel. It's Tevel he inherited from his maternal grandfather who's a Kohen. Okay? And therefore, if I say I have to pay him for the whole $100, it's because it's like his grandfather had already separated out the Trumas and Mice and already taken possession of it and that's why he's the owner of it. Of course, the question is... I still can't eat it. Right? You can't eat it, but... You mean, so why am I paying you for... Because Truma is not worth the full $10. Truma might only be worth $7. I know, that's a problem here. It never exactly spells out how to do the math. Okay? Okay. The other question that you're going to ask is, if my grandfather's a Kohen, why do I get to keep the mass there? So Rashi points to a Gemara that says that, you know, after Ezra, according to some, right, the Kohanim was got to keep the mass there. Okay? Either they only... They, they exclusively got the mass, or they were also entitled to the mass. Okay. Rebbe is of the opinion it's like 
Michael's maternal grandfather already took possession of the Truman from Maestro's, and therefore it's like Michael fully owns it, and therefore I got to pay Michael the whole hundred bucks, or at least ninety-seven or whatever, because a little discount for the Truma. Umar Sabar, love can show her No, it's not like that. Actually, the Truma is a trivial part, right? The ten bucks is for the Truma is only a tiny, tiny little piece, right? Right? The, the master is ten percent. The Truma is like two percent. Okay. Anyway, that, so that's the explanation. Not that it's not that it's it's you have to give the Truma away, and does Michael own the Truma? He has to give away, but the Michael actually owns the Truma because of his maternal grandfather. And the other person says, no, he doesn't own it yet. It's like something okay. short. Something. You can tell something that you don't really own. Something like that. Okay. Okay. Another explanation of the debate. You know what? Everybody could say that in a normal case, if it was Tevo that hadn't been, that the, from the paternal grandfather, it would be like he had taken possession. And every, but that's not the case. The case is Michael separated the Trumas and Maestras. And also, the Tevotana ain't a Mammon. And everybody agrees that Tevotana is not Mammon. So I don't get it. He separated it out. It's not Mammon. Why would Rebbe say that I, you have to pay him fully for it? What they're really debating, says Rashi, is not the value of the Maser. The Maser... Uh, I wouldn't have to pay him. He doesn't have a monetary ownership in it. The question is, is about the truma. What's that issue? Regarding Shmuel. The Amar Shmuel, that even one grain exempts the entire, you know, even though the practice is to give 2% of truma, the reality is that even one tiny little grain exempts the entire pile. One holds of Shmuel, one does not. Meaning, the question is, do I, have, I don't have to pay Michael for the 10% ma there. But do I also get off paying him to 2% of Truma, which normally would be given? Do I pay him $88 or do I pay him $90? One says you pay him 88 because he would be giving away of this several 2% Truma that's not his. And the other says, no, I pay him $90 because in theory, even if he's a good guy and in practice will give 2% mass there, in theory he could give one grain, a penny's worth of mass there. So therefore, in theory, he really owns $90 worth of this grain. In theory, he could keep a full $90 and he would only have to give away 10. So even if in practice he's going to give away you know, two more, and he'll only be left with 88, since in theory he could keep 90, um, I, that, therefore, um, I have to give him a full 90. Uh, David, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention, I was, uh, anyway, it's, uh, who, who, whose your site is it again? My father. David's father's your site. What's his name? Kaddish ben Mordechai. Kaddish ben Mordechai. So our learning should be in his memories, and Hashem should have an aliyah. Okay, the Ibaizema, and if you want to say the Chuleyama Leislu de Shmuel, everybody doesn't hold a Shmuel. Okay? So everybody doesn't hold a Shmuel. So, and Tovatana ain't a Mamon. So therefore, I should, I should have to give Michael, why, why would I have to give him more than $88? Right? He, he doesn't own the Maser, he doesn't own the Truma. We're going to assume he has to give the full 2% of Truma. So why would Rebbe say I had to give him anything more than $88? How does he have more of a stake in it than that? So the Gemara says... Oh, no, if I can't... Oh, right. Okay. So why does Rebbe say I have to give him the full amount? Because I'm a Ganev! Okay, so it's very nice. And technically speaking, Michael only owes eighty-eight dollars, but I stole a hundred dollars now. And here's the point: if I gave Michael the eighty-eight, I'm never going to have to give the other twelve to a Cohen and a Levy. Because no, any Cohen and Levy that comes, hey, you stole something that was Truma or whatever, I'd say, go prove to me that you're the Cohen that was going to get the Truma. Go prove to me you're the Levy that was going to get the there. So how should it be that we should let me, the Ganov, steal a hundred dollars worth of grain and only pay for eighty-eight? So therefore. Technically, you're right. 
I, Michael is only deserves 88, but I'm a Ganev, I stole 100, I'm going to pay him Wait, the so 400. You eat the whole thing and not separate anything? No. You still separate Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, what I did with the grain was a different story. I mean, if the grain is around, I would give it all back to you. But I went ahead and I, I sold it or whatever I did with it. It's not around anymore. Now what do I have to pay you for? Okay? So how could I steal $100 and only pay you 88? Okay. Um, situation all the time and go till 18, right? Right. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes you get off the hook. Right. The Ebay's aim, if you want, you say, Everybody holds of Shmuel. And therefore, Michael could have gotten off with giving one grain. And, and I sh- everybody should agree that I should at least pay him 90, okay, because in theory he had a full $90 st- ownership of this. But to why does Rabbi to say that you only pay 88 if you really should be paying 90? How do you let your grain stay along so long that when he stole it, it was devil? <laughs> you know? So you don't deserve to get back, you know, anything that should have already been separated uh, off and given to the Kohen and the Levi. Who's the worst defender? <laughs> I think the Ghana, but anyway. Okay, it's not. Tavon, right? There's nothing based on the right? So uh, it's been sitting around for a while then. No, we're no longer dealing with that scenario. Okay, let's finish the parrot. Now we're finally going to look at the Mechatas and the Eferchatas. And rather than explore the issue that you actually gave the, the water itself or the ashes itself, because, uh, you know, people were saying, how did you get that if you're not a Ghana? Visit us or Behana. We're going to assume more that you're marrying the woman with the benefit of I'll sprinkle the ashes of the paraduma on you if you marry me. Okay, that that's the scenario, okay? Well, let's take a look. Okay? So the Gemara says, for Aminu, I'll ask you about this. If you get, if you take payment for rendering judgment, then it's void because you're like, you know, you're a, it's basically like a type of a uh, shochad, you know, you're being paid. Lahaid or to testify, the testimony is void. If, if you do, if you take Money to sprinkle, no, right, right, Kadesh, to sprinkle the ashes of the paraduma or to mix the ashes with the water. That's called the Kadesh, different use of the word kiddush. Okay, Neimav Neimara. The water is like drawn from a from a swamp, meaning it's not Mayim Chayim, which is needed for the ashes of the paraduma. The Afro Afer Mikla, and the ashes are like normal, like you know, uh, like a like a like a you know, like ashes from a from a from a from a fire, you know, from your uh, from cooking from, from cooking ashes, a bar barbecue ashes. They don't have any special status, meaning you did not purify the person through this. Tosa says the reason is you're not supposed to get paid for doing a mitzvah. Here you're getting paid for doing the mitzvah. So therefore that voids the whole thing. Now of course, does that void it biblically? I mean, even though you transgressed by getting paid for doing this service, still the service was done and the ashes were sprinkled, but it seems like at least rabbinically it didn't take effect. So anyway, bottom line is, how could somebody marry this woman with uh, the fee for doing this act? A, she wouldn't have get a benefit from doing the act because it wouldn't take effect. At least rabbinically, she wouldn't be pure. And B, he's not allowed to get a fee for it. So how so could that work? Well, that's what we think. So let's see what the Gemara answers. Amar baye lo kasha. Kam deschar hazao milui. Kam deschar haza v'kidush. When would it be that you can't get paid and you can't marry a woman with that with that uh, service if you're being paid for sprinkling or 
for the mixing of the ashes with the water. And both of those are mitzvah acts. That you're not allowed to get paid and it wouldn't take effect and, and not everything would be void, fine. Our Mishnah is when you're getting paid for hava umilui, transporting the ashes and drawing the water. That is not a mitzvah act yet, right? That's something that you could actually get paid for that service. The, the basic dish needs me to schlep the ashes from one place to another or to go draw the water for the paraduma. I can ask them to pay me for my service. So in some type of a scenario, I have to figure it out where, where I am giving that service to the woman. I don't know what's the scenario where she's asking me for that service and not the base on mixtash. But whatever it would be, that's something that is a service that can be charged for and is a value and that's the case of the Mishnah. Dikanami diktani, that's also inferred from the language of the Mishnah because it says, Hacha para. Our Mishnah says the water and the ashes, so the issue is the drawing of the water, the transporting of the ashes. Right, it's not the actual object but the service. But there where it says it's all void, it's the act of to sprinkle and to mix it. So therefore this is much more about not yet the process of the mitzvah, but an earlier stage. Shmamina, that is a good pshat. We will continue tomorrow with